Good morning. What a great way to start our Sunday morning together, just singing about how great our Lord is. And if we keep our minds wrapped around that while we meet together, I guarantee you the songs that you sing and the things that you hear will be amplified by the power of the Spirit as God pours out His presence here among His people and you'll walk away transformed and, and blessed. It's a blessing, in fact, that you are here with us this morning to look around and see um, smiling faces, to see folks ready to worship, whether you're a regular folk or a visitor. Welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're joining in online, it's good to see you and, and have you along with us. And we are thankful that we still in our country have the privilege to gather together freely um, to worship our Lord Jesus. If you're a visitor or if you're a regular a tender and you need or would like to communicate with us, just always like to remind you about the way that we, one way we do that, you can always pick up a phone and call, but there is a little card in the bulletin that you can jot information on, ask questions, um, and share prayer requests. And if you choose to do that, just write it on the card, and then in a couple of minutes we're going to pass an offering plate around, and you can just drop that in the offering plate. Just if you share email um, prayer requests, and you want us to not share that over email, and you'd rather us keep that private, just check there's a box on there for that, and we'll honor that as well. Let me just um, highlight a few things before we read from Psalm chapter 27 this morning. And the first thing is, um, is to start planning now. We uh, took a, a break from our 11 o'clock Bible study and our Wednesday evening prayer meeting during the month of August, but we will resume um, regular 11 o'clock Bible study and 6.30 prayer meeting on September the 7th. And so you have one more Wednesday um, break or one more Wednesday off before we get back into the regular um, swing of things, and we'll start back on September the 7th. So just a reminder there. Also, just a reminder to our men, um, all men, you're welcome if you're available tomorrow morning, 6.30, to join us for breakfast and fellowship. Um, we meet at the Elk Diner, and we're usually um, done by 7.15 or 7.30. So if you um, find that fits your schedule, we invite you, and we would love to have you join with us. One other um, announcement, just a reminder, um, the, the folks that were elected to our newly um, formed staffing committee, um, we need to have just a brief meeting right after service, and we'll meet in um, the prayer room. If you're not familiar with the prayer room is, it's the first Sunday school room on the right there um, with the wall mural. It won't take more than a few minutes. We just need to decide on what meeting time works best for everyone. So if you can gather there quickly, we'll do things quickly and we'll move on. And so if you're a part of that committee, um, you'll know it as well. You can consult other um, items in the bulletin as far as regular scheduled things. And if you... Um, always have any questions or would like to share something in the bulletin, you can just call the church office and we would be glad to, uh, to communicate that to everyone. One final service announcement. If you had stored any food in our freezer, um, the door was inadvertently left open. Um, the temperature was about 40 degrees, so most of the items are thawing. So if there's any food items, I don't really know if you have anything in there. Um, there was some milk and juice, I think, from about 2004 um, in there, um, but I saw it already made it into the trash can. So if that was yours, my apologies. But if there is something you want, you need to, if you get it after service, if not, everything that's in there is going to the dumpster and we're going to start fresh. So um, just if you have something or you think about something, you may want to grab that. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm chapter 27. As we read from 
the words of David expressing gratitude to his Lord for the wonderful gift of salvation. In fact, most translations title this, um, The Lord is my light and my salvation, based on the first line. So let's read this together, and then after that, our, our deacons are going to come and collect our offering. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melodies to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Gentlemen, will you come and pray as we prepare to receive our offering? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for being so gracious, so kind, so compassionate. Thank you that uh, you've allowed us today to come before you, to rejoice before you, and in the good fortune that you've placed upon us, Lord, and to have fellowship and with one another and be encouraged by it. And Lord, we thank you for Rusty, and we ask that you bless him with a message that you bring to us through him, that it accomplish whatever purposes you have in each of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you've given to us that we can freely give back to you that which is yours. And we pray that you bless it as it goes out into the world to accomplish your purposes there. We love you, Lord, and so pray that your name will be exalted today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the Lord is in this place. Uh, the Holy Spirit is moving in... Just don't let him pass you by. Just listen to him. This is another song, and if you know it, just sing it with me. Here we are. 
you. You may be seated. Bible, you may want to find your place over in Mark chapter 2. We'll be reading from there in just a moment. While you're finding your way over there, I just want to remind you about our emphasis. We've started the last couple of weeks toward personal evangelism called Who's Your One? And I hope you're using both the prayer guide and your bookmark as a reminder. Um, I had kind of a freak out moment last week. Um, I thought maybe I'd scared my one away. Um, I hadn't seen him in, in about a week and maybe a week and a half, and I ran into him on Saturday, and fortunately he had just visited some folks in, um, in Tennessee, and he was back. So um, just continue to pray for your one and pray for others as they reach out um, to theirs. And just a, a quick plug for this prayer guide. It's a great way to not only set your mind um, on God's truth through Scripture, but also to give you just a suggested prayer to pray on behalf of the person that you're trusting in the Lord to uh, transform their life. So just an example, day four here, the scripture is Acts 16, 14. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And in the prayer, God, Lydia's story gives me hope for the salvation of, and you insert your person's name, Clay, give me the boldness of Paul. Make me courageous to share the message with Clay in a way that is clear and compelling. Help me reject the fear that causes me to shy away from speaking the truth in love. Do for Clay what you did for Lydia. Open his eyes, his heart to the gospel. Align the circumstances of life to soften his heart to the truth of the gospel and cause him to listen intentionally and respond humbly to Jesus' offer of salvation. So if you didn't pick one of these up, you can get it today. If you've kind of used it for a day or two and, and laid it aside and forgot, don't beat yourself up. Just pick it up and start where you left off. And if you haven't started, start today. Just asking you to think about somebody that you intersect with regularly. Somebody that's in your path of life. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe you work with them. Maybe you go to school with them. Maybe it's another a student. But just to, to begin praying for that person by name. Asking the Lord to, to intervene and to save them. Asking God to give you the boldness to speak up and opportunities to share. And these um, two little things, bookmark and a prayer guide are a great way to help you along the way. And if you have stories, encouraging testimonies, I would love to hear them. And I'm sure the church would love to hear them as well. So if you have those, just let me know. Let the church office know. And we would love to hear that as we continue to trust God to bring um, men and women that we know to the Lord and salvation one person at a time. also wanted to give you a brief um, sheep update in case you're following the story of the, um, the runaway sheep. Um, as of yesterday, about 5 o'clock p.m., the eight um, mischievous sheep are still, and I hate to even say this, they're on the lamb. Um, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're out there, and, and here's what is even more disturbing. I think, I'm not going to say that sheep are smarter than I am, but I found out this week that evidently the sheep and maybe the sheep owner know the law better than I do. Um, I, I was talking to the sheriff, and the sheriff told me that in Texas, that um, 
the way the laws are written are in Johnson County, you know, there's, a, there's open range. Texas is an open range state unless your county has a stock law which says that certain animals need to be fenced. In Texas, that happens to be cows, horses, mules, and donkeys. Anything else? Um, there's not a law that says they have to be in an enclosure so they can roam around just freely like a dog. And so not only are farmers supposed to have a fence that keeps their animals in, but they're all supposed to have a fence that keeps animals out. So my fence is not sheep-proof, and since it's not sheep-proof, they can come and go freely, and unless they somehow get caught on the road, um, they are free to roam. So pray, I'm still trying to contact the owner um, for, for those three. Um, if you want to read more about um, fencing and stock laws, you can look up a handy little guide called Five Strands. Um, produced by the Texas Department of um, Ag Extension Department. And um, if it comes down closer to one of the holidays um, and they're still there, um, make space in your freezer. Um, there might be <laughs> lamb chops um, for, for everyone. Um, I hope it doesn't come to that, but it, it might. Um, Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. We're continuing to look at the idea of Jesus calling disciples, and then those disciples turning around and in being involved in his mission to call other people. It's part of helping us to get our minds around the idea of our responsibility to be um, involved in evangelism, to be sharing our, our faith. And so last week and the week before, we looked at some of the, the calls of those fishermen that became disciples. And this week we'll turn to, um, to Levi, also known as Matthew. But I think it's still true today, and, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think when you invite someone to come sit at your table, it, it means something. It, it's a sign that you are welcoming them. You, you accept them. It's a sign that either you have a relationship with that person or you would like to get to know them better. We invite friends and family together to, to celebrate, to mourn, and, and just to be together. And many times that happens around the table. Friends share meals and stories around tables. If you sit at a table with a hot cup of coffee at a coffee shop, many times you can see employees being hired, business deals confirmed, Bible study and prayer happen, or our friends catching up, or friendships being made. And I want to offer you this morning just the thought that a place at the table can mean a fresh start or a new beginning. You see, the gospel writers tell us the story about Jesus and his ministry, and that he often ate with tax collectors and sinners, that he looked past the traditions and the norms of society. He didn't care about the opinions of men, but he saw people with needs. And he looked into the heart of both men and women, longing to see those who were spiritually sick become well, and those who were sinners be called to salvation. Now, practically to do this, Jesus had to be around sinners. The religious leaders of the day didn't really like it. The people often didn't understand it. But those 
who Jesus spent time with, whose lives were changed, were rejoicing and praising God. And so this morning we're going to look at the call of Levi, a a tax collector. How a visit in his home turned into a celebration meal of new beginnings. And we'll see how Jesus, our Savior, loves sinners, seeks them out, calls them to repentance, and offers healing from the spiritual sickness of sin. And so the main truth I want us to to kind of look at is that Jesus loves sinners and saves those who respond to him in faith. Jesus loves sinners and he responds to those who save him in faith. Now we'll look at the story here. If you look in Mark chapter 2, it's just verses 13 through 17. It's a short episode in the scriptures. And it says there that he, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, Sea of Galilee, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and the disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh Lord, we thank you for the goodness of Jesus, our Savior, who calls sinners to salvation, who calls the dead to life, and gives us the opportunity to exchange our old for his new. So Lord, help us to, to see Jesus high and lifted up. Help us to see his goodness and his mercy, his greatness. His glory as we look in these verses in the truth of Scripture. And we thank you that we have your Holy Spirit to help us and your word to guide us. And we thank you for the time that we have to share. And we look forward to what you will speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the last two weeks, we've seen Jesus work in pairs of brothers. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Nathaniel. All of them around the sea of Galilee, fishermen who would become what Jesus coined the phrase, fishers of men, each responding to a call from Jesus, follow me. And they left their nets, they abandoned themselves and they followed after him. And we saw last week in that story of Philip and Nathaniel, that wonderful call that we can offer to others, come and see. Investigate who this Jesus is for yourself. And this week we're going to hopefully open our spiritual eyes more to the compassion and the ministry of Jesus. That his heart longs for all men and all women to be saved. That he had the willingness to reach out to those on the edge of society. Poor, the outcast, the diseased those people of questionable reputation, people that 
were misunderstood or rejected by society, people that were often avoided and were discarded. And in Mark's Gospel, we see right after the story of him calling the first four disciples that Jesus begins to heal and to preach throughout all of the region of Galilee. There's a man with an unclean spirit who's cleansed. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Many who were sick were healed. He cast out many demons. And right before we read about Levi, a leopard is a leper, not a leopard. A leper is cleansed and a paralytic is healed. And Mark 2 verse 12 says that one of the testimonies was we never saw anything like this. And if we were able to interject a sentence in that, I think that it would be, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. And so Jesus would turn from healing to doing something that in the eyes of the people of that day would likely be just as astounding. He would go and visit with a tax collector who was sick with sin and needed healing and would call him to be a follower. Now, there's three brief sentences that kind of just walk us through the frame of the story. And the first thing is just that Jesus called a tax collector. It's interesting because up to that point, it was fishermen that seemed to, to catch his eye. And if you just read it quickly at first glance, it really doesn't seem that significant. Well, okay, Jesus called some fishermen. Now he's calling a tax collector. He's added another disciple. So what's the big deal? But Jesus is once again there by the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching and crowds are following after him. And verse 14 says, as he passed by, he saw. Again, we remember when Jesus saw people, it wasn't just with physical eyes. He saw them with spiritual eyes. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Again, the scene is very similar to the others where those fishermen were by their boats. This tax collector, Levi, is by his tax booth. The call, follow me. The response, Levi gets up and follows him. So it's very much the same as the others. Now, I just want to tell you that if I do happen to say Matthew um, instead of Levi, don't worry, it's the same, same guy, Levi, Matthew. Matthew is a name um, given to him. It just means gift of God, and it was not uncommon for, for men to have you know, different names. Um, we have Simon, who's called Peter. We have Levi and Matthew. And he was called much in the same way as these other gentlemen, but the difference was his profession. He was a, a tax collector. Somebody who was disliked by almost everyone. I think still today, most people would not be fan favorites of tax men or tax women, those who collect taxes. But his job was to collect fees or Taxes from people traveling in and out of the region. He happened to be in that region, in the town of Capernaum, which would have been on a major road that traveled north to south. And if you wanted to get anywhere from the north to the south, the natural way to travel was through the land of Judea. And you couldn't get through Judea unless you went through Galilee. And the road went right through where Levi was. And that's where he had his tax booth set up. 
So people bringing their goods, people bringing the things for sale, people traveling along would have to stop and pay their fees to the tax collector. Now, not only did they collect the tax, but they were also given the luxury to overcharge a little bit if they wanted to, and then they would pocket the rest. So if they were to collect, you know, a half shekel, if they could get a whole shekel, then they could keep the rest for themselves or or so forth. And this man, Levi, worked for Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, and he was the governor of Galilee, appointed there by the Romans. And he also governed the territory that was east of the Jordan River. So he had some authority, but he was under the ultimate authority of Rome. So Levi got his job from Herod, and Herod answered to the Romans. And as Levi collected his money, he gave what was required to Herod, who gave what was required to the Romans. But all the while, he collected more than he should and as much as he could. So the question has to be asked, why in the world would Jesus call Levi, this guy, this tax collector, to be a disciple? He's a cheat. He's a liar. And he works for the government. I think it's a reminder to us that many times Jesus calls the most unlikely people to be his disciples. And I think in the process what we learn is the the transformational power of the gospel, of how somebody goes from this is how I was to this is who I am in Jesus. How could this guy, though, be on his list? We'll talk about that more in a minute, but for now, just be reminded of this. If Jesus didn't call outcasts and sinners, then he wouldn't have called you, and he wouldn't have called me. But out of his goodness and mercy, Jesus invites people that are far away from him to draw near to him, to go from being enemies when they're distanced from God to being friends who draw near in a personal relationship with Jesus. And when Jesus called Levi, he gave up his profession, his formal life to follow after Jesus. Which meant that once he left that tax collecting booth, there was no going back. Those fishermen, in fact, they do go back to fish later on as we read in the Gospels. They could go get some nets in a boat and fish again. But once he gave up this position that would have been highly sought after, there was no going back. So he left his position. He left a lot of money. And we're reminded that even though the love of money is a very powerful draw, the call of Jesus is even more powerful. But I think in this, we we need to be reminded of this truth, that that we we should never assume anyone is too far away from Jesus. There's no lost causes in God's eyes. He desires that all would be saved. So if you're praying for somebody, and have prayed for somebody, and have prayed for somebody, and it's 10, 20, 30 years, don't give up hope. No one's too far away. 
from Jesus. We should remember Jesus came to be Savior of the world and let that encourage us in our prayers and our sharing and to rejoice in the fact that Jesus saved me and Jesus saved you. And that Jesus will save those who trust in Him. And so Jesus calls a tax collector, Levi, but then we go to the next step. The the next item you see there is that Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. Scandalous activity in His day. And inferring from what we read in the text after Levi decides to follow Jesus, he invites his friends to his house, throws a a party, holds a banquet to celebrate the end of his old life. This is who I was and the start of his new life. Kind of waving goodbye to the tax collecting business and, and saying hello to the new life. And maybe speaking or putting some words in Levi's mouth, inviting people and saying, hey, I met Jesus. He changed my life. I'm no longer a tax collector. I'm now a a disciple. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, we, well, at least the people I know, and maybe your family is the same, um, we throw parties for a lot of different reasons. In fact, we, I think, look for excuses to have a party, a gathering, a get-together. Naturally, birthdays and anniversaries, we gather together to celebrate. Most holidays, families get together. While it's not a holiday, it's almost approached that in its magnitude. You know, for a football game on one Sunday in February, the Super Bowl is known for great parties. But I just wrote a question down, and I was thinking about this. When's the last time you threw a party for, for Jesus? That's exactly what Matthew did. He, Levi, he throws this party for Jesus and his friends. He invites Jesus and the friends to his house along with the disciples. Verse 15 tells us more of the story. As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So the guest list, Jesus is there, Levi's there, The disciples are there, the tax collectors are there, the sinners are there, and also we find out that the scribes of the Pharisees are there looking on. They're kind of looking into what's going on. And it says they're reclining. Now, in our day, that, you know, you think about, well, okay, they're relaxing. You think about Sunday afternoon after a good lunch. But in the first century, reclining was the traditional position that they would get in to share a meal. They didn't have, you know, long rectangular tables. They had tables that were U-shaped or like a horseshoe. They didn't sit in chairs. They would lie on the ground on, on pillows and they would usually lean on their left elbow toward the table with their legs pointing away. And in that position around a table, they would enjoy a meal. They would break bread together. And sitting or reclining at a table with friends meant being accepted. It was an extension of friendship, of hospitality. So in this setting, Levi hosts this celebration of his new life, and he wants his friends to meet Jesus. Which led me to another question. Not only, you know, when's the last time have I thrown a party for Jesus, but 
Am I excited enough about Jesus to invite others to meet Him? Am I excited enough about Jesus to invite others to meet Him? Without a doubt, Levi was excited. He went out and issued the invitations for them to come, but alongside him there's these religious leaders who are anything but excited. They're displeased and they disapprove of his actions. And in verse 16, we hear their attitude. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now we probably need to know a little bit about these scribes of the Pharisees. First of all, the Pharisees were the major religious leaders of the Jewish people during that day. You could say they were very serious about their religion. Their desire was to please God by keeping the Old Testament law. Now, when you think about Pharisees, you probably think, like this person wrote, that they represent the worst element of traditional religion. We think Pharisees, we think hypocrisy. We think Pharisees, we think formalism or legalism. But to them... Keeping the law was most important. And they saw the path to a relationship with God through keeping the rules. And they looked at themselves as righteous. They were law keepers and everybody else as unrighteous. Or another phrase they would use, sinners. And so you see that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. And our mind immediately rushes to the thought, well, sinners means people that break God's moral code. Well, that's true. That is a sinner. But in the eyes of the Pharisees, in the eyes that we're looking at here is Mark writes, it was basically a sinner was anyone who did not follow the Mosaic law, the law that God gave to Moses. Now, it just so happened that these Pharisees were the men that interpreted the law, and they wrote volumes of how people were supposed to follow the law. And they were so focused on these rules and rule following that in the midst of that, they they missed seeing the Savior. They didn't recognize the Messiah that Jesus sent came to be. And out of that blindness, that desire to be self-righteous and keeping the law, they asked this question to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's curious in human nature oftentimes why we ask questions of other people that we should ask to people directly. You ever wonder that? I wonder that sometimes, you know. Why does he do that? And you want to think, well, why don't you ask him? You know, um, if you want to, you know, and, and I think, but that's human nature. That's what we do. You know, why do they do that? And instead of asking the person directly, we, we go around, and this is exactly what the, the scribes of the Pharisees do. They go to the disciples. Well, they're asking this question, why is this, you know, why does Jesus eat with these tax collectors and sinners? Because they've undoubtedly realized by now that he's identified himself as a rabbi or a teacher, a religious man. And to the Pharisee, to have close contact with someone they considered a sinner risk them the possibility risk for them was the possibility for them to be un to be defiled or contaminated. They didn't even want to be around people like that. And then there was the whole issue of eating with them because 
the food. You know, all the food had to be prepared a certain way. And if it wasn't properly prepared or if it was touched by someone else, then it could be unclean and defile them as well. And so the Pharisees are looking down at this meal and thinking, this is not a setting that we could be a part of. And they thought, you know, any true rabbi sent from God would look at these people and avoid the situation. But what's different about Jesus? What was he thinking? And the story, the episode challenges, you know, prideful, self-religious, self-righteous religion. Because today we may not call individuals Pharisees, but we still have folks that think that, you know, being a good Christian is about following rules. And if you're a rule follower and not a rule breaker, then you're a good person. And God must be pleased with you. And many of those folks only find themselves hanging out with other Christians. And they make no place in their life to connect with lost people or non-believers. If you think about the metaphor that Jesus shares of, of fishing, it's you know people that you know maybe have read a lot about fishing, talk about fishing, and never go fishing because they don't like the smell of the fish. They don't like the squirmy worm that they have to put on the hook. And these, when prideful, self-righteous religion wells up, it causes people to look down on others that are, are different, that don't act the way that we think they should. They don't do the things that we think they ought to. And, and you can't ignore the fact that the, that the Bible calls us and God calls us to live holy, set-apart lives. But we can't use that as an excuse to withdraw ourselves from the world and the culture that God has placed us in. That key phrase, to be in the world but not of the world. We're going to be in the world. We can't insulate ourselves from it. In fact, it's our job, our mission, our responsibility to go out into that world with the love of Jesus and the powerful message of salvation and to reach out to people who others might see as different. To offer love to those that are unloved or would consider themselves unlovable. And when you see the example of Jesus time after time after time, He's going out and reaching those that are feel like they're marginalized, they don't have a voice, or they feel like they're outsiders. And He welcomes them to trust in Him and be a part of His kingdom. And I wrote another question. How will we see people who are far away from Jesus come near to Jesus if we're not willing to go to them? How can we see people saved and come to Jesus if we're not willing to go to them? See, because what happens, sometimes pride wells up in us and we think, I'm too good for that. And the remedy always is to repent and remember God's grace toward us. 
we're not nearly as great as we think we are. Sometimes our self-righteousness raises up. And we just say, oh, they're, you know, they're getting what they deserve. It's time to seek His forgiveness and remember that the righteousness that we have is only because we have Jesus in our lives. And I think as we consider that question about, you know, if we're not willing to go, we take some steps. We are active in addressing it with a spiritual remedy, and that's to pray and ask God to go before us, to prepare the way, to to speak and to open up opportunities, to, to trust that as we go, His presence is going to be there with us and to lean on His strength and love during the process. But I think it's also important to understand that when, when Jesus said, hey, Levi, I'm coming to your house. You know, and later on, Levi said, I'm going to Zacchaeus's house. That Jesus didn't spend time with sinners to make them feel good about themselves. He wasn't there to condone or to approve their actions. No, Jesus spent time with, with sinners to, to present the good news that salvation was possible, to call them from where they were to what they could be. And that was his purpose and his mission. So the third thing you see there is that Jesus came to save sinners. We don't have in the story how Jesus found out what the Pharisees were saying. Either he just knew or he heard them talking. But in his response to these critical Pharisees, Jesus gives a clear picture of why he Came. It's in verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus uses a simple idea, as he often did, to teach a spiritual truth. It's almost so simple that we probably don't need to lay it out, but it's true that a person who is well doesn't need a doctor. There's not a whole lot of people lining up to schedule an appointment to see a doctor who have nothing wrong with them. It would be a waste of time, a waste of money. And this would be something easy for someone to understand. If you're well, you don't need a doctor. But on the other hand, a person who is sick What do they want? They want to be well. And they will go to see a doctor. They will visit the emergency room. And they will allow the doctor to treat them as needed because they want the remedy. They want the cure that is offered. But Jesus is talking about more than physical sickness. He's talking about a a terrible sickness that affects every person who has ever lived, that if untreated leads to death 100% of the time, and not just physical death, but spiritual death. It's something that you can't treat at home. It's impossible to treat yourself, even though many people try. The disease is not uncommon to us. It's the disease of sin. And as Paul wrote in Romans, everybody has sinned and everybody falls short of the glory of God. Jesus came to be the doctor with the cure for sin. 
He's the Savior who comes to redeem anyone who calls on His name. And when God works through His Spirit and through the truth and people understand the seriousness of their sin and the desperate need they have for spiritual healing, they'll look to Jesus, the Savior. That's why we pray for God to open blind eyes. Because only God can convince men of sin to see that they, we have a desperate need and to lead us to salvation through Jesus. You see, when men and women are convinced that they're doing good on their own, or they can convince themselves that they're at least better than somebody else, so many times they miss the Savior. But Jesus came to heal sin-sick souls and call out sinners to repentance. Now here, here's the reality. If you follow Jesus today, you have already responded that to that call, that call to repent, to turn from your sin and to turn toward Jesus. And then in accepting that free gift of salvation, you also accept the challenge and the responsibility of sharing that message with other people. So what should we do? As we, when we begin to draw to a close, and you think about this, okay, we know Jesus would eat with tax collectors and sinners. We know that we should not shy away from those people that are on the edges of, of life, that we are called not necessarily to be their, you know, their, you know, running around buddy all the days of our life, but to go with love and compassion. How should we respond? What should we do as we share the good news with others? We, we pray for them to see their sin or their sickness. Now, everybody probably has somebody in their family that at one point, maybe it's you, maybe you're the person that's heard this, you really need to go see the doctor about that. Or you've said that to somebody. And a lot of people just live by the, the axiom, ah, oh, it'll get better. And, and we know those situations. You, know, you really should go to the doctor, no, nah, it'll get better. See, we need to pray for people to see that they are spiritually sick, that they are sinners. And then we need to pray for opportunities and take the opportunity to introduce them to, to Jesus. And so we pray for them to see their need, their sickness, and then we pray for the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus, the great physician. And along the way, our job is to continue to be a friend to them. That's what this whole emphasis of who's your one is about, is to show us that not only do we have the truth and we share the truth, but we share that truth through relationship. We see that in the life of Levi. He reached out to his friends. He invited them to his home. And we can reach out to our others as well. Create opportunities as they are available to, to share truth, to let them see Jesus in our, our lives. And many times those opportunities come with just being polite, being friendly, being cordial, listening, asking questions, patiently trusting God to work through the power of His Spirit to open up doors. 
So we started talking about being invited to a table. But let me ask you a question. We start, you know, when's the last time you remember being invited to lunch? Or maybe an invitation came in the mail or on email for a birthday party. Or a friend invited you over for a meal in their home. When those things happen, at least for me, immediately you feel like, okay, somebody cares about me. Somebody values my presence. And someone wants me to be there. You see, Jesus loves sinners and saves those who respond to him in faith. And he invites men and women to join him at his table. The table that Levi made available was a table for those who would come to see Jesus and receive the gift of salvation. But I also think forward to another table that those who are known as followers of Jesus, those that are faithful saints from the past, will gather around a table at a banquet, at a wedding supper, the Lamb. There will be praising, there will be rejoicing, and there will be a table There is a table in heaven available to all that makes no distinction, that only asks for faith and trust in Christ. So be reminded that when Jesus sees people, He sees everyone as valuable. He desires a personal relationship with them. And we sang the song, The Table, and just listen to some of these words. There's healing at the table of the Lord. There's healing at the table of the Lord. I won't suffer anymore at His table. And then the call, come all you weary, come and find. His yoke is easy, his burden light, he is able, he will restore at the table of the Lord. See, there will always be a place available at the table with Jesus. It's never too crowded. There's always a chair for your friend, your family member, your your neighbor. There's space available for the people who are overlooked and undervalued in society, and there's a place for you. And it's always ready. And it's always waiting because Jesus loves sinners and saves those who respond to Him in faith. And, oh Lord, You would give us the spirit of hospitality and of love for others that we would not only invite others into our lives, but we would invite them to know the Savior that we trust and follow for His glory. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are gracious. We are so thankful for Your graciousness. We're thankful for Your goodness, Your mercy, for the truth that You share through Your Word, for the patience You have with us when we're slow to hear, for the ability that You have to to speak through words in English, to communicate to our very hearts, to use the words of men to speak your truth. And Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts. We're presented with your welcomeness, your love, your acceptance at the table that you offer. The gift of salvation. And we're challenged by the example of Levi 
to welcome others into our lives, to invite them to the table of that represents our existence, that exists our day-to-day life. To love, to share, to invest, to speak and to pray, to trust ultimately in you to do what you do, and that's to open blind eyes and grant the gift of, of salvation through repentance and just simply asking for men and women to put their faith in you. That as they answer your call, you transform and make new. So Lord, help us to see that there's a place at your table for us and help us to make a place at our table for others in sharing the gospel, the gift of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this story, I think we're, we're presented with both you know, the mercy and grace of our Lord and his willingness to give us that graciousness and mercy in our relationships as we reach out to other people. Something most of us aren't normally good at, but it's something that God is willing to to work in our hearts when we are, are willing. So as we prepare to sing and listen to the Lord, maybe the challenge is this, is, is you need to just press into the Lord and, and maybe you haven't felt welcome. Maybe you feel like God is, you know, is mad at you or is far away from you and just to draw near and say, God, I, you know, I'm just, I've had a stinky attitude. You know, I've been hung up on this. I'm confessing this to you and I want to draw near and be in your presence. Or maybe it's just asking God, God, I want to be that person like Levi who has an open table in their life that's willing to listen, to learn, to pray, and to speak to see other people come to know Jesus. Or maybe it's, it's something more exciting than that. Maybe it's just today is the day that you realize that Jesus loves you and, and wants to bring salvation. And today can be that day. Just answering the call, saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm leaving myself and my sin. I'm repenting and I'm turning to you and trusting you in faith and beginning that walk. If you need to pray at the front, the front's open. If you, you can pray where you are, you can stand, you can sit, you can sing. Most importantly, just listen to the voice of the Lord as he speaks and responds. So we join in standing as we sing together. Let's listen to the Lord and respond.
y'all have a seat just a second. And Dwayne and Donna, why don't y'all come up this way? Um, this is Dwayne and Donna Patrick. And um, they're not ones to make rash decisions, but um, after considering um, the case, um, they're coming this morning just to say that they would like to be a part of this church family and to be, be members. And so we are super excited. And um, and so, just what would what would your pleasure be considering just having Wayne and Donna to be part of our church family? Everybody say amen. Praise the Lord. You can clap too. Yeah. Yeah. And so we are excited to see how we can serve alongside y'all and y'all can serve along with us. And we want to take just the opportunity when we get finished to be able to welcome you. So. Um, I'll give you the choice. You can either stay right here or you can go to the back, whichever you feel more comfortable. But I know people are going to want to come by and just welcome you and, um, and just express their, their joy that you're a part of our, our church family. Isn't it wonderful to know that God places us in a family and that he always has a welcoming, a welcome place for us when we have a great need? Why don't you join us in standing since we're already standing up? Um, we're going to sing a song when we are finished. Y'all may want to be sure and come by and say something to Anna and Dwayne. And don't forget that if you're on the staffing committee, we'll have a brief meeting in just a couple minutes as soon as we're able to get back over there. So we're going to sing together. And when we sing, after, when we start singing, you're free to go. So Lord bless you.